0: Welcome to Back Window. If you're new to the podcast, I'm Mike, your host, and I tell stories about growing up in the middle part of the 20th century. I call my podcast Back Window because of an early memory of traveling with my parents and sister in the rear-facing third seat of a 1959 Plymouth station wagon. Condi and I had a great view, but everything we saw was in the past. If I can remind you of your own past with a laugh, a wince, or even a tear, I have succeeded. I try to release a podcast every two weeks, and most will launch on Sunday morning. If you enjoy this one, there are over 40 episodes for you to browse through. Thanks for listening, and now, on to this week's episode. There was a time long ago when dodgeball was a blood sport when Walk It Off was a coach's standard cure for injuries, and when Mrs. Irene fixed playground scrapes with a Band-Aid and that devil's antiseptic Mercurochrome, I call this episode, Growing Old Gratefully. At 60, you began thinking about getting old. I may tend toward the morbid, but one of my first thoughts was, who will I list as Paul pallbearers? By my early 70s, it was, who will I list as honorary Paul pallbearers since none of my contemporaries is steady enough to carry me? But I made it. And if you're listening to this, you're still vertical too. We survived growing up at a time when safety was barely a consideration. There were no watchdog groups, and none of these warnings like, don't eat dishwashing detergent or curling irons with a caution reading not for internal use. If you will take another memory tour with me watch your head keep your arms inside the ride this pass has not been inspected for safety. I have talked about the terrors of an elementary playground with this blistering metal sliding board or that ultimate thrill ride misnamed merry-go-round instead of child slinger. Time after time, one of us would return to our third grade class after recess, covered in dust and grass stains with scratches on our hands and face and holding onto a shoulder or holding back tears after being sent airborne by that whirling dervish. And tetherball. Did I mention that head smacking pain on a chain? What nefarious toy maker sold the idea of attaching a chain to the top of an eight-foot pole and hanging a weather-hardened volleyball from the other end. It was a triple threat in the injury department. For someone really clumsy, just reporting this, not necessarily me, it was possible to get hit in the head by the ball, get wrapped up in the chain, and slammed against the iron pole. Elementary school playground games were not much safer. Most of them, like Red Rover, or one which began with the team yelling, bum, 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 here we come, involved running and breaking through a line of hand-holding opponents. We quickly learned that the best defense was to clothesline a runner with a wrist to the neck. By age nine, every boy had a knife for whittling often given by a grandfather, over the objections of a too cautious mother. We never thought of cutting each other, but were forever cutting ourselves. This was so common that once I was helping a friend, Lane Powell, build a popsicle stick fork for a middle school history project. My knife slipped and left a pretty good gash on my left thigh. Mrs. Powell packed me up and took me to Dr. Martin for 10 stitches, bringing me back to the Powell house so I could ride my bike home. Mrs. Powell called my parents who were grateful to be informed but not surprised. I was worried, rightfully so, that my mother would be angry about another pair of ruined blue jeans. They too could be sewn up but bloodstains were harder to get off jeans than off a 13 year old boy. Like drunks aboard the Orca in Jaws, We boys boasted about our scars and stitches like they were battle ribbons. Between age eight and nine, I gave up my cowboy ways. We were among the earliest war babies, and many of our dads returned from the military toughened by training and combat. Dad joined the National Guard and brought me boxes of sea rations and military gear from summer camp. I was a vision in army surplus with a canteen, a bandage pouch, and sometimes a holster, containing a plastic Colt 45 caliber pistol, all hanging from my authentic web belt. In my pockets were hand grenades broken from somebody's magnolia tree. I have heard that there are so many magnolias in this area because my friends and I tossed so many seed pod grenades at imaginary enemy machine gun nests. It was not unusual to see me as a 10 year old, wandering the neighborhood dressed in OD fatigues, wearing a plastic helmet, carrying a BB rifle, and smoking a candy cigarette. Today I would be surrounded by a SWAT team and hauled in for counseling, or worse. In middle school, we put on our own wrestling matches in imitation of the popular wrestling shows broadcast on Channel 3 in Charlotte. Never the wisest owl in the nest, I was once coaxed into putting on a Great Bolo mask, hand-sewn by someone's sadistic mother. The Great Bolo was the villain incarnate of the wrestling world, and I underestimated the wrestling mania of my friends. I believe we now call such folk frenemies. It didn't take all recess for me to realize my mistake, but that's what they used. I came in after recess battered, bruised and embarrassed by Flip and Donnie and several unscheduled onlookers who got caught up in the action. I am eternally grateful that there were no chairs available to bash over my head like on TV and sorry that WBT's Big Bill Ward was not there to call the match and end the mayhem. We were also growing up in the atomic age. Everyone was certain that atomic powered cars Planes and trains would soon enter our lives. Science fiction reached its heyday as a radiation cloud caused the incredible shrinking man to dwindle away to nothing. Insects went the other way, with ants the size of school buses and tarantulas big enough to straddle a garage. Even plants were likely to rise up against us like the cornstalk-looking triffids. A good friend and budding scientist, Norman Golson, had the top of the line chemistry set. Not only did it have several chemicals capable of causing some pretty serious explosions, but his chemistry set had uranium and a small Geiger counter to prove it. The dangers of radiation were so misunderstood that some clothing stores had X-ray devices that looked at how well our feet fit in their shoes. My Uncle Ray worked at a clothing store in Union, South Carolina that had an x-ray machine. I would stand with my feet in it, turning it on and off and wriggling my toes until someone would finally tell me to move along. It's a wonder that my feet don't look like a dead chickens. They still glow enough to guide me on one of my many bathroom forays late at night. The teen years carried their own dangers. Fireworks were not the namby Pambly sparklers of today. Some fireworks were designed for trouble. Cracker balls were one half inch spheres of what looked for all the world like Captain Crunch cereal and were filled with flash powder and gravel sized rocks. They were considered harmless and we could buy a dozen for a nickel from an old Lance Cracker jar on the counter of Rogers Drugstore. We never mistook them for candy. I understand some children did and got some pretty serious mouth burns. Cracker balls were supposed to produce a pop just a little louder than a cap pistol and a star like powder burn when thrown against the pavement. But we learned the delight of frightening girls by suddenly throwing one near them. Cracker balls also worked when stomped on, and as preteen boys who loved a challenge, We had to see just how many we could stomp at once before losing a foot. Most of us stopped at ouch, but there were those daring ones who stepped lightly for a day or two afterwards. For a short time, larger ones, about the size of a Tootsie Pop, were available. Only the intrepid or consequence impaired dared step on those. And when we threw them against a hard surface, They became miniature fragmentation grenades throwing tiny chunks of gravel back to sting any exposed body part they hit. For the serious stuff, there were a couple of fireworks stores located just below the North Carolina line on the way to Pineville. Evidently, North Carolina folks were not terribly evolved and couldn't be trusted with high explosives, so they had to cross the line to buy real fireworks. Those of us below the border were much more mature, and blowing up things came more naturally to us. I went in once with three friends to get some materials for mass destruction of tin cans and toy soldiers. We bought several cherry bombs, so-called because they were red and cherry shaped with green stem-like fuses, and some TNTs. TNTs were literally one-inch long sticks of dynamite. When we took our goodies up to the counter, the old man running the store looked at us and asked, where are you boys from? We thought we were busted for something, but Gene answered, we're from Fort Mill. Give me those damn things, he said. They ain't nothing, they're for tourists. He reached under the counter and took out two boxes. These are the real thing, same price. If only the good die young, then so be it. For many of my generation, the military became real and too many good men died far too young. For others of my peer group, for whatever reason, we were spared by fate and come on, admit it, you know very well why you didn't die young. We've lived a full life and hope to appear at those final gates decorated with battle scars and rewarded with a little peace and rest. I'm just glad to be here, and glad you stayed safe enough to be here with me.